The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Diane Ray, and thanks for being present with me today on the podcast. In honor of the holiday season and winter solstice, I wanted to share a conversation with Ellen Everett Hopman, a master herbalist and homeopath who has been a druidic initiate since 1984. Many Christmas traditions have roots in the winter solstice and were inspired by traditions established by the Romans, Norse, Celtics, Druids, and more who were all pagan. Ellen describes all of this in her book, The Sacred Herbs of Yule and Christmas, Remedies, Recipes, Magic, and Brews for the Winter Season. Welcome, everybody, and happy holiday season. Whatever you celebrate, I don't care whether it's Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, I love it all. So I really love this time of year, and I'm excited to delve into holiday traditions and Christmas on the show today. I know everybody has their own traditions they like to celebrate, and I actually like to celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas. My husband is Jewish, and I like to light the menorah and eat latkes and, and things like that. And then I also have my Christmas tree and I put in a little little tree here. I don't really have room for a big one, but I have a little one. I love a real tree because I love the real smell. And I love my ornaments. I'm very attached to all my Christmas ornaments and I love bringing them out at this time of year and looking at them. And I have ornaments for all of my cats. I don't know if you crazy cat people out there do this, but I have one for every one of my cats past and present. So I love it. I love this whole time of year. It's a great time, whatever you celebrate. And and forget about the war on Christmas. There is no war. Let's just all celebrate together. <laughs> let's, let's dispel that right away. So most people are familiar with the traditions of Christmas and Hanukkah and even Kwanzaa. But have you ever thought about where the actual Christmas tree comes from? Or Santa Claus? Or the dreaded fruitcake? Or all of those things? Well, a lot of Christmas traditions have roots in Druid and Wiccan culture and Earth-based religions, and we're going to find out about those today, as well as the Krampus. And if you don't know what the Krampus is, you're definitely going to want to stick around for this. So today I want to welcome my guest, Ellen Everett Hopman, and she's a master herbalist and homeopath who has been a Druidic initiative, uh, initiate, I'm sorry, <laughs> I messed up that word since 1984, and she's been a teacher of herbalism since 1983 and is a member of the Gray Council of Mages and Sages and a former professor at the Gray School of Wizardry. And she's written a beautiful and fascinating book that everybody should add to their library and bring it out year after year. It's called 
the sacred herbs of Yule and Christmas, remedies, recipes, magic, and brews for the winter season. And I want to welcome Ellen to the podcast today. So thanks for joining me. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Well, I love to talk about this. This is so much fun. And I, and it's a druidic initiate. Is that right? Did uh, I say that correctly? <laughs> yes. Um, okay. That means that you've studied as opposed to, there are a lot of people who just love trees and then decide that they're a druid, you know, but if, if you're a druidic initiate, that implies that you had a teacher and you spent a few years uh, looking into it. <laughs> you know? Right. It's not just that I love plants and trees and that makes me a druid. There's there's actually more study and and a lot that goes into it. So I just wanted to make sure I, I said that correctly. So first of all, I want to congratulate you on your book. It's beautiful. I love the information. I love the illustrations. And I definitely think this should be uh, in addition to anyone's library who loves the holidays and loves Christmas. And as this podcast airs, as we speak, you, you'll still have time to order this in time for Christmas. So I think that people should be uh, jumping online. And it's great that you're presenting this information to educate people about where a lot of these traditions actually originated from. It's so fascinating. So how long did it take you to put this book together? Because it's a lot of research that you've put into this. Well, typically um, when I'm doing a uh, nonfiction work like this, I write both fiction and nonfiction. It usually takes me about two years uh, to do a book like this. And it, it's actually part of a series now. There's one called The Sacred Herbs of Samhain, which is about Halloween. Samhain is the old uh, Gaelic word for Halloween. And then there's the Sacred Herbs of Spring, which is herbs to celebrate Beltane or May Day. And now the Sacred Herbs of Yule and Christmas. And all three books um, uh, have recipes. Uh, so for every herb that I mention, I give you a, a recipe so you can cook with it. I talk about the medicinal properties. I talk about the... Um, magical properties, uh, herb, herb magic. And uh, for people who just want to cook things, uh, you know, say you have Norse ancestry or Polish ancestry or something, you can look it up in, in the book, The Sacred Herbs of Yule, and you can make a traditional Polish Christmas dinner, for example. Or for those who are more magically inclined, um, you can turn it into a potion as in, if you remember Harry Potter with potions, it's like that. Sure. If you know the magical properties of herbs, um, when you make a drink, a brew, right? Or if you cook a meal and you know the magical properties of the vegetables and the grains that are going in there, and that it actually becomes a potion. It becomes a, a kind of spell. So <laughs> you can work with it magically or just... Um, treated as a Christmas dinner, you know? It's a, a great collection of information and amazing recipes, like you mentioned. And you could do uh, spells or rituals if you like. So I, I love that all of this is together. And so let's go, I want to go to the beginning, I guess, and talk about the ancient origins of the Yule Festival, which has kind of morphed into the Christmas that we know today with a lot of twists and turns along the way. 
But the Yule Festival actually started back in the 9th and 10th centuries, and then the Danish Vikings brought Yule to Britain by the 13th century. And I think, would that be Arthurian times, I guess, if people were thinking of those legends that's kind of back at that time? Is that right? King Arthur was actually, if there was a King Arthur, we don't know, but right. um, he was 5th century. No, okay, so I'm I'm way off by a few centuries, but um, but you're thinking of the medieval tales of Arthur, uh, which probably had very little to do with the historical Ar- Arthur, if there was a historical Arthur. But uh, yeah, the word Yule, J U L Yule, uh, comes from Scandinavia. Um, in Middle English, it's Yol, Y O L, and then as you said, it was brought to Britain by Danish Vikings. And um, the idea of the December 25th birth of Jesus and all that, um, there's really no evidence that Jesus was born on December 25th. Um, But December 25th was the day that the Persian god Mithras was born. And uh, Mithras was the god of light, of the rising sun, of covenants and contracts, truth, friendship, guardian of the cattle, of the harvest and the waters. And um, the Romans were very big into Mithras. And um, what happened was when the church gradually, when the Christian church gradually got going, um, they had a deliberate policy. They did it with all the the holy days, the quote-unquote holy days. They would look at the already existing pagan celebration, and they would graft on a Christian story. Right, and I think the actual... uh resurrection and that and that whole story as well is all also has pagan roots yes well that was the festival of adonis who was the young god who gets reborn in the spring and they even had a chant they would say he is risen he is risen <laughs> and that was greek tradition so they were singing he is risen the young god he comes back every year but um the egyptians also had that um they had um, isis Osiris and baby Horus. And baby Horus gets reborn every year at the winter solstice, hanging in a tree. <laughs> so so it's interesting. A lot of Egyptian religion, and this is where fruitcakes come in, by the way, that, that comes from Egypt. 4,000 years ago, the Egyptians were sharing fruitcakes at the winter solstice. <laughs> so in case you're wondering why we do that, that's why. Um, I, I was, yeah. Thank you for telling me that. And I know I've had some fruit cakes that you tasted four thousand years old when you <laughs> when you think about it. And it, it's interesting to track these these traditions and stories back to their origin, to you know December twenty fifth to Mithras, um, and how that all came about. And also, I wanted to ask you about the Christmas tree and the origins of that. I think the Christmas tree is actually German in origin. Is that right? Well, that's the modern myth. The modern myth is that Martin Luther invented the Christmas tree, and that's absolutely not true. <laughs> I mean, again, that's an idea of the, the Christian church taking over because it was a pagan custom pretty much to worship trees. Um, and so they had to figure out a way to make it okay for Christians to have a tree, right? But um, the story is, according to the research, um, the first Christmas tree was erected in Estonia, not Germany, in 1441 
by a guild of merchants and ship owners. And they set it up in the town square and people danced around it and probably were drinking a lot of alcohol and so on and having fun. And then they set it on fire. Um, so, um, but where did they get this idea? Well, it turns out that in the Middle Ages, um, it was very popular in the winter time around solstice. I mean, you think about it, the, the agricultural year is done and nobody's working in the field. So now you can go to a play. So they would go to these passion plays and the plays were about Adam and Eve. And so the story of Adam and Eve is that they, there was this tree, right? It, in the paradise, there was this tree. Now, the Bible says a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's no apple in the Bible. Again, that's made up. That's fantasy. But um, they had to have this prop. The most important prop in the Passion Play was a tree. So then they would either have a, an actual tree or they would have a wooden pyramid that was supposed to represent a tree. And if you think about it, in the middle of winter in Northern Europe, if you go out and get a tree, if you just chop down any old tree, it's going to be bare. It's just going to be branches, right? So the, the trees that are green at that time are conifers. So they either had a conifer or they had a wooden pyramid, and then they decorated it. They said, what are we going to do to make it look good? So they would hang red apples or uh, communion wafers, which are round uh, communion wafers made out of uh, wheat and water, basically. Um, and those would hang on the tree. And actually, there's a whole lot. I talk in the book, I have a whole chapter on the mystical properties of grain. So there's actually a pagan tradition. The communion wa wafers are flour. Flour, it comes from the grain. And the grain holds the energy of the sun. So that's actually even pagan to hang a communion wafer on the tree. But anyway, so so they had this idea that this every year you would go to the play and the play would have this nice tree and it was decorated. So it seems like that was the where the the guild picked up the idea of having a tree. But they said, hey, instead of ha or maybe they used it in a play and they said, let's take it outside and people can dance around it, you know, um, <laughs> like the fire to it. Yeah. And then set fire to it. And fire, again, I have a whole chapter on that. Um, fire is a big part of the observance. You know, Yule logs and bonfires and candles. And the reason that we have uh, lights on Christmas trees and the reason that we light candles and we have lights on the house and all that, that goes back to ancient times when you had bonfires that were designed to, one, keep predators away um, wolves, things like that. But they also acted to strengthen the sun. It was sympathetic magic because you wanted the sun to come back. So the fire is both protective and solar. And this is a very pagan thing. And, and this is, you know, this is still done. I mean, we, we put lights all over the house. Why, why are we doing that? You know, and, uh, that's why. Because well, thanks for sharing that because yeah. Well, the misconception I had was I had read that the the tree, why I thought it was German, was because of Prince Albert and Queen Victoria 
Well, yeah. that came much later, yes. Right. In the 1800s. Um, but, but Christmas trees were already popular in Germany by then. And what happened was Albert brought the tree to, uh, to Britain um, because he loved Christmas and he loved Christmas trees. And I have a nice full page picture of Albert and Victoria with their Christmas tree and with the kids um, in the book. Uh, and then, you know, anything that the royals do becomes instantly popular. So then the general population uh, decided that that was the thing to do. And then people started bringing the trees into the house. Right. And then became the trees that we know and, and love today. And the and also Santa Claus, the origin of Santa goes way back. I mean, we've heard of St. Nicholas and, and Father Christmas and... But it was even before that, right? Before St. Nicholas. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, there's a lot of different ideas about um, who is, is Santa Claus. Um, but one of, the, one of the fun ones that I really like is if you go to Scandinavia around Christmas time, uh, you'll see that the Yule decorations, uh, a lot of them are these red and white mushrooms. And uh, they're red mushrooms with white spots. That's Amanita, Amanita muscaria. And um, it turns out that in the wintertime, the reindeer, or I guess in the fall, because once the snow falls, it's too late, but uh, the reindeer eat the mushrooms and then they get high. <laughs> and then um, the shamans drink the urine of the reindeer because that's the only way they can safely um uh, take in mushroom, yeah, because it's a poisonous mushroom. So then the shamans are, you know, tripping and and doing their shaman thing. Um, and uh, anyway, it what I think is going on is this red and white figure who's who travels through the sky pulled by reindeer. So that you have the reindeer, you have the red and white association. To me, it's a spirit a lot like Mescalito, who is the spirit of the mescaline cactus, according to Carlos Castaneda, if you remember those books. Oh, yeah. Um, Don Juan. He's a mushroom spirit, um, courtesy of the reindeer. That's so, that's so interesting. I, I had no idea about this. And then also reading the book, there's, and I don't know if it, I, I thought it, it was German, about kind of the the dark side with the Krampus, and I want to bring up the Krampus, but I just have to ask you: Have you ever heard of this book? It was a German children's book called Slovenly Peter or Struwelter, and it was these fables and stories to keep kids in line. Like if like if you sucked your thumb as a kid, some evil sprite would come in and cut your thumbs off. Okay, I'm vaguely remembering it. <laughs> the Stumpful Peter or something. That's like it. That. That's it. This book haunted me as a kid. A neighbor had it. His his grandmother gave it to him to terrify him, I'm sure. Oh she was German. So I have a copy of it because it's haunted me all these years. Struwelter, I think, is the original name of the book. And it's these horrible tales to keep kids in line. And then I yeah. see here comes the Krampus that, you know, instead of giving gifts, is whipping the kids. He's a devil-like figure like an evil goat. And I thought, wow. I mean, I know these were dark times that people were living in. And well, it's interesting. I mean, there's yeah, the, you know, the juxtaposition of yeah. the, the good Santa and then the Krampus. Yeah, well, St. Nicholas and the Krampus. 
Um, but yeah, for some reason, um, you know, the grim fairy tales and so on, for some reason, the Germans, um, they love to scare, scare kids. <laughs> That's how they get kids to behave, you know? Um, of course in Iceland, there's Grilla, who's a monster who shows up there. Uh, Northern European cultures have, have these monsters and which if you're if you've ever I'm not a parent but I can only imagine I've been a teacher you know I've taught every grade from kindergarten through college but I can't imagine trying to be a parent these days but that's another subject but um trying to keep kids in line you know so that was something that you could always threaten children with you know that you're going to get carried away um by, by the Krampus yeah yeah it's terrifying <laughs> and the picture is really scary, too. And I wasn't aware of the other kind of malevolent uh, solstice monsters that lurk in these uh, in these stories and myths. So it's interesting to read about, you know, read about that. I, I, the one that okay. you described, that was Iceland. And then there's a, a witch and a werewolf and some yeah, other the figures. Wild hunt, the Wild Hunt is another one. In the, again, that's Germanic. Um, and uh, and Norse, but it, the idea is that the dead souls are flying across the sky at the winter solstice. Um, and uh, I mean, a every culture has something like this. For example, in Greece, um, they have these really nasty little black figures, the terrible little elves that only come up at Christmas time. <laughs> they come up from the underworld and uh, they really want to mess with people and um, they're very jealous of humans and they cause all kinds of problems and um, <laughs> everybody seems to have that. But the idea is that in the wintertime when it's dark, that's when the ancestors and the dead and the spirits that live underground and all the scary things, um, that's when they feel most at home because it's dark and that's what they're used to. So they're not going to come in the middle of summer too light for them you know right um, or springtime and yeah. I, I don't think people would really associate um or, or most people you know you would think of of halloween you know the veil's thin and and to connect with your ancestors and people who have passed and and things like that but like you're saying this time of year is also a very potent time to make those kind of connections and well, this you, is the darkest time of year and yeah. so this is why you have to have lights going on the house and um, in the house and on the tree and in the windows and, you know, because you got to get through this, this dark period. Um, you're waiting for the, for the sun to return. And you mentioned that your husband was Jewish. Well, Hanukkah, um, even though it's a minor festival or it was a minor festival, I think it's getting bigger, but um is very similar to the pagan solstice uh, celebration because you, Hanukkah starts at the dark of the moon at the darkest time of year. And you light a candle uh, each day as the light slowly returns, you know? So again, I know there's the whole story of the Maccabee, but it's much older than that. It's again, I'm sure it goes back to Canaanite paganism or even before that. But the idea is, you're bringing back the light. You're affirming that the earth is not going to be dark forever, you know, and, and you're, and you're bringing it back. 
The other thing you mentioned, you said you have ornaments on your tree for each of your cats. Yes. Um, I have cats, but I'm very into possums. <laughs> <laughs> and you have possum ornaments? I, well, yes. And <laughs> I have That's possums. so cute. I feed possums in my entranceway. Um, some people think I'm crazy. Some people think it's great. So people have started sending me possum ornaments. Oh, that's so wonderful. I love that. It's so funny how each year I look forward to, oh, there's there's Georgie, you know, like, like cats that are no longer with me and they live on in their ornaments. And I just lost a cat this year that I had for 16 years. So I have my Gracie ornaments. And then we have we have a new cat. And so now I'm finding a tortoiseshell cat that looks like her. So I know it's I'm a crazy cat lady with that, but I I really love the ornaments. I, I look forward to putting them up every year. And and just with the and, and one more thing with the divination is that in some of the recipes you shared that there's divination food, like mm -hmm. a divination cake, there's, you know, foods for good luck and things like that. And what I'd have to ask you to share what the divination cake is. How does that work? Well, um, I go through a lot of different cultures, you know, and the French do this, they, they, different cultures do this, the Irish do this. But the idea is that you bake a cake or you make a pudding and you hide little tokens in there. And so you might put a coin. I always say clean it first, you know, before yeah. you put it in there. But um, I give re a recipe and I tell you at which point to put the things in. Um, but you, if you put a, uh, if the person who finds the coin, or sometimes it's a bean, if you find the bean, um, that means you're going to have a very prosperous year. Um, but there's there's different symbols, uh, like a thimble means that you're going to be a spinster. Um, you know, it just goes on and on. Yeah, and like the Mardi Gras cake, the king cake, yeah, that has the little baby in it. Right. And I don't know, I forget if that means you're going to have a baby. So forgive me if I'm wrong with that. But it, it's a sim similar concept where you would, you know, yeah, a lot something of something in the food. Do, a lot of cultures do this. And um, in Scandinavia, you might make a rice pudding or a, a wheat pudding. Um, in Russia, they're big into wheat pudding. And Poland and Kutia, I think it's called. Anyway, and yeah, you just stick one little thing in there, and it's very good luck. Um, yeah. Or you could uh, you could have whoever gets the ornament or the little object uh, becomes the king or queen for the day, you know, of the of the festival. That kind of thing. So it's just good luck. Uh, one the other thing I learned in in the book where people might I mean we we know about Santa Claus and you know there's the birth of Jesus and all that, you know, male um, uh, stories and legends. But there's also a lot of female characters. There's a, a goddess that's worshipped at winter sol solstice. There's also female gift gingers, gift bringers, I'm sorry, female gift bringers that people might not be aware of, you know, and spirits at this time of year. So just so, you know, if people are, are not feeling, you know, the the Santa Claus, and there's a lot of people that love the goddess. What are some of the female archetypes? Like which goddess would be worshipped at the winter solstice? Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further 
allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, there's uh, St. Lucie or Santa Lucia uh, who is a light bearer. And again, this goes back to the whole pagan thing about the light. Um, and uh, she is regarded as a saint in Sicily and Sweden. But in Slovenia and Croatia, she becomes a, a nasty witch. Um, and she's called Dark Lutz, uh, who beats girls who are lazy and disembowels children who are bad. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So terrifying. That's just one. And then in Italy, you have La Befana, who's a great one. Um, she's a witch, and she comes down the chimney, just like Santa Claus. And that's a whole other topic. I mean, why you why things come down the chimney, okay? And you're supposed to have a Yule log in there, so nasty things can't come down the chimney. But Santa Claus comes down the chimney, and so does La Befana, even if you have a Yule log. Because good things apparently can come if there's a Yule log, but bad things can't. But anyway, La Bifana is the Christmas witch, and she wears black, of course, because if you're coming down the chimney, you're going to get covered in soot. So the most practical color to wear is black, right? And um, she rides a broom, and um, you're supposed to leave a new broom. You're supposed to get a, a new broom and leave that by the hearth, by the chimney, so that when she comes down the chimney, she can bless the broom. And then you sweep out the house. Uh, you do that on New Year's. You sweep out the house with the new broom that's been blessed by La Bifana. And that gives she you sounds benevolent. That doesn't sound scary. No, she doesn't. She's not scary. There's there's scary ones, and then there's not scary ones. Um, she it, wants you to work and sweep, though. That's well, it's it's <laughs> more like ritual sweeping, right? Which I can give you a whole ceremony for that if you want. <laughs> but, and then in Germany, there's uh, Frau Berta or Perchta, who some think of as a goddess. And she brings gifts. But if children are bad, she will abduct them. And <laughs> that's very Germanic. Um, and she's also said to lead the wild host, the souls that fly across the winter sky, you know. So if you if you look out the window near Christmas and you see the clouds, you know, scuttling by and big wind comes up, that's her. That's Frau Berchka leading the souls of the dead across the sky. And you can go, oh, the wild host is here. Oh, wow. I like that. And, you know, um, people people seem to think that more people pass over the holidays. And I asked about this and that's actually not true that people die at the same rate throughout the year. Just that just popped in my head from well, uh, 
That's an author I had worked with who who is like a grief therapist. But I think it seems like more people pass at this time of year. I think it's more that people who are sick, who have been sick for a long time with a chronic illness, they will die near a significant date because they don't want to be forgotten. Right. So that makes be, that makes sense. Yeah, it could be any time of year. Um like near somebody's birthday or you know they'll that's what they do and it's that's interesting do. yeah well it wouldn't be the holidays without food and drink and we talked a little a little bit about that and you have some incredible recipes in here and there's lots of drink i mean i guess people back then you know like you said it's dark there was no farm chores or agriculture going on so there's a lot of you know a lot of partying and and drinking going on. Um, something that we do, my my sister's husband is Cuban and they all, they love to get together and make this kind of eggnog. Uh, and you share a couple different recipes that are variations of that, mm-hmm. like the aguardiente. Uh, so they're foods you eat for good luck. And we talked a little bit about that. Foods that have divination qualities. I mean, what are some of the recipes that you like to share during the year? this time well, of year. I, yeah, I have a whole chapter on brews. <laughs> what, I, what I do is I, and they're from many cultures. They're from, you know, South America, um, Europe, all across the states, things like, I go through a lot of different cultures. But what I do is I list each ingredient and then I give the magical properties of each ingredient. Um, for example, the oranges and lemons are very solar, you know, and um, so you can honor the sun uh, by adding that to your to your drink. Um, chocolate is something that was very sacred uh, to the Aztecs and the Mayans, and only nobles were allowed to drink uh, chocolate because it was it came from the gods, you know. So these are things that you can use in a ritual um, if if you know the magical properties, you know. And then there's whole meals that you can do. For example, in the South, um, it's traditional around New Year's, but you could do this for Christmas if you wanted. Um, If you want to have a prosperous New Year, uh, you have to have beans. Beans represent coins. And you have um, something green like kale or spinach, and that represents money. And then you have cornbread, which is golden. And that represents gold. And if you have all those things on your plate, um, you're going to attract wealth. You know, um, I like that. The, those are all great ideas for over the holidays for di- different meals that you want to have. And you could plan out whole dinners, a whole big spread based on a lot of the recipes that you have in the book. Yeah, what are the cocktails? Yeah, I was kind of imagining people doing a winter solstice ritual. And then making one of these brews. And then um, I give instructions for chants. Sometimes I give a chant or I, I, you know, I say the best chant is the one that you invent yourself. But I do give examples of chants. And as you're making the brew, you can be stirring it sunwise, which is clockwise, and chanting. And you can make your brew and then uh, put that in the ritual cup and then use that in your winter solstice. Uh, celebration. That's what I was visualizing. As oh, I, I would love to do that. Yeah, and I think isn't it true that your intent 
is very important when you're doing something like that to Absolutely. have you yeah. know your in, your intention of of love and goodwill and and what you want to share with with your friends and loved ones when you're making those things. Well, that's why the chanting is good because if you have a group of people and they're all chanting the same thing, you know, it kind of creates this group mind and and the group mind can then manifest whatever it is you're trying to manifest, whether it's peace, you know, or just good luck or health or whatever, it, you know, whatever you're trying to do. Yeah, we need all of that going into this year. So these are these are all these are all great great ideas and suggestions. And there I learned so much reading through the book. That's why I think everybody should have this so each year you could bring it out and incorporate new traditions and try new recipes, you know, as the years go on and they could kind of be incorporated into your own family traditions what you want to do. And so there was something I, I wanted to ask you that I had never heard of. There was a couple of things. And one of them was first footing. And this is a, a, a Celtic tradition or a Scottish tradition? Well, it, I thought it was just Scottish. But then I found out that they do it in other, uh, like the Greeks do it, I think. Um, other other cultures do it as well. But that's closer to New Year's. The idea is that the first person across the threshold um, on New Year's Eve uh, indicates the luck of the house uh, for the year, and again, that's um, that's part of the Christmas time divinations in a way. Um, the very best person to come across the threshold is a tall, dark man. So, um, what people would do is they would find somebody, a tall, dark man, and they would make him stand outside until the stroke of midnight, <laughs> and then he could come in. You know, um, and uh, then he would have uh, dinner with the family and it was very good luck. It was bad luck. The worst luck was if it was a red-haired woman. That was very Oh, bad. no, the evil ginger. Yes. Oh, I thought about <laughs> that too. I thought about that a lot because a blonde woman is um, bad, but a red woman is really bad. <laughs> so um, I think, this is what I think, I think this could be a memory of the Vikings, oh. the Viking invaders. Because, for example, the Celts, um, the original Celts before the Vikings got there, were dark. They had dark hair and dark eyes, you know. And the everybody thinks that the red hair is Irish, right? But that comes right from the Vikings, because the Vikings settled the east of Ireland. You know, Dublin was a Viking city, right? Um, so that red hair was scary. If somebody showed up with red hair, oh my God, <laughs> they probably had never seen that before. Well, it could be a Viking, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrifying. No, I had read that, you know, the little people or the fairy folk were small and dark. Well, the Celts were dark. The original Celts were dark. Well, yeah, dark hair and blue eyes. Um, but anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, envision oh. I'm envisioning yeah, the, the the fairy folk. But um, in, in thinking of, you know, traditions and magical magical things that happen like at the stroke of midnight i guess that poor guy had to wait outside yeah, to come in wait outside you know freezing <laughs> um but another thing you shared in the book that i thought was great the legend that farm animals and pets can speak at midnight on christmas eve right so yeah it, exactly on the stroke of midnight that's an old tradition so you go to the barn and you wait to hear them talk 
I, I had never I had never heard that. That's I never heard about first footing or about that. And I love that folk legend because I'd love to imagine, you know, what my cats would say at at midnight. You know, like where where's my next food? You know, where's yeah, the tree? We don't want to know what the cat would say. I don't. I probably wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, first footing is Scottish, but it's also like, for example, I believe it's in Greece. I can't remember now. There's so many cultures. I talk about so many different cultures. But there's a Eastern European culture, I think, where the first, and it's in the book, but the first, the first footer crosses the threshold and then he goes right to the hearth. And theoretically, there should be a Yule log in the hearth. You know, you should have a hearth fire going. And then he pounds on the log to make sparks. And again, that goes back to the whole idea of the light. You know, it sends the sparks up the chimney. And that repels any nasty things that are trying to come down the chimney. Well, I, I've loved finding out where a lot of these traditions and customs come from. It's been so fun to read this book. And so I really encourage everybody to pick this up in time for the holidays. And it could be a gift or just keep it for yourself to share some of these amazing traditions and, and recipes and ideas with your own family. And it's been so great to talk with you. So how can people get in touch with you? I mean, you're you're an herbalist. You have all this amazing knowledge. Do you have a, a website that you can share? Yeah, well, I, I should repeat the name of the book. It's called The Sacred Herbs of Yule and Christmas, Remedies, Recipes, and Brews to Celebrate the Solstice Season. I think that's the full That's title. it. Um, it's it's yeah. remedies, remedies, recipes, magic, and brews for the winter magic season. And, and right. I just checked on Amazon, and it is available if that's the easiest way for you to get it, or your local bookstore if you'd like to pick it up that way. Yeah, you you can also if you want a signed book, um, you can contact me at ellenevertotman.com. and I have all my books there because I think I have seventeen in print now. Um, there's a lot of books, a lot of herbals, um, Celtic herbals and magical herbals. And there's a few Druid novels and children's books. I have children's books also that I wrote. Um, so if you go to ellenevertotman.com, um, the books are all sold through PayPal. So it's very safe, uh, you know, and, um, and I'll send you a signed copy. Oh, that's wonderful. So d- Definitely do that. Ellen Evert, E-V-E-R-T, Hopman, H-O-P-M-A-N, just one P. And check out all of Ellen's amazing books there. And thank you so much and happy holidays. Thank you. And to you and and your family and everybody else and everybody listening. And thank everyone out there for listening today and, and for joining the show. And if you like what you heard, please leave a review. And if you haven't downloaded the free MindBodySpirit.fm mobile app, do that. It's free. You could do it for the holidays or whenever you want. Check it out in the App Store for Apple or Android. You can leave a message or comment for any of our podcasters on the open mic feature. So do that. And also give a listen to all the wonderful podcasters we have on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. And happy holidays to all.
I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.